Hello again and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. My name is John Caruso. Have you ever wondered how the great fashion designers and labels got started? What if I told you that from humble beginnings at the Yamundi Markets in the Noosa hinterland in Queensland, Dewey Cameron has seen her colourful Boom Shanker fashion label grow into a super successful global business. In this podcast, we'll examine the Boom Shanker business model and explore why it's critical to surround yourself with the right people for your business and for your brand. I hope you enjoy the pod. Dewey and I recorded it just outside the Boom Shanker office in the Parisian Village Square. I was born and bred in New South Wales in Kempsey, the town of Slim Dusty. I'm very country. I didn't know that Kempsey was. <laughs> That's near Sydney, isn't it? Is it just to the north of Sydney? Um, it's actually, it's yeah, it's northern New South Wales. It is. It's a great little spot. It's the land of the Akubra, and uh, yeah, it's very country. But it's a yeah, it was a good growing up in a country town. And then um, my dad worked for the New South Wales Railway. Then we sort of moved to Brisbane, and then. They bought their house at Prigian Beach in the uh, 80s. Wow, I hope you still got, <laughs> still got the home, I hope. <laughs> they just sold it a year ago. For a squillion, I imagine. Oh, no, because my dad's special. He thought, I'm not going to buy on the beach because I don't want everything to rust. So I'm going to buy back. My, my parents <laughs> would say something like that. They'd get the kitchen or the splashback full of salt spray. Okay, see, everything's going to rust. <laughs> no, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so that's hence why I'm working so hard still. <laughs> it's funny, as kids though, we still desire a house by the beach. Oh, we, yeah, okay, definitely. Isn't that the, that's the ultimate. So when did you, when, when you were growing, when you were at school in Kempsey, what was your, what, what did you want to do? Um, I wanted to be a Jillaroo. <laughs> But I've always had my own taste on fashion. So I think I've always um, dressed myself. You can ask mum from a very young age, you couldn't dress me and it would be quite colourful. Um, more like a tutu and rainbow socks and probably topless. Still do it today. I haven't changed much. And what were you trying to do? You wanted to stand out from the crowd? Is that what... I don't think as a kid... Make a that statement? It, well, no, I actually don't think that's... When you're that young, I don't even think those things um, come into your thought. I think it's about playing dress-ups, and I think that that's probably been something that I've loved always since yeah. I was little, which I still love today and love doing with other people as well. So when I used to sell... Myself, the staff at your Monday markets, I would love to play dress-ups with people because, you know, you, you take them... Some people are a, a bit shy to kind of uh, mix and match stuff, but I love it. The more contrasting, the better. I, I think it's fun. When did, you, um, when did you start designing clothes? So I've got a 10-year-old and he's... Uh, I don't know where he gets it from. He listens to a bit of Little Pump and it's all Gucci this and Gucci that. And he came up with his own label the other day and he said he wanted to call it Dante. And he started sketching these tees and stuff. And we're all encouraging him, going, that's fantastic, oh, that's, that's great. Brilliant. What a great, you know, career. To... Do you remember sketching or coming up with a creation? For yeah, you for the I've always drawn. I've drawn since um, I can remember. I love drawing, so that's been it. And then I would make stuff and sell at the markets probably from the age of 16 onwards. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, actually, even before I went to India, I was making clothes and selling them. I'm not a good sewer, but I had a bit of a funny little entrepreneur brain, as in I got people to stitch for me. So I came up with the idea and the concept and had them make stuff for me. So that was 
even before I started travelling. You mentioned India a couple of times. It seems like or sounds like it was a pivotal journey. Oh, I've been in India 25 years now, so more than half my life. As in living? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. So um, I have a home there. Right. And uh, like a farm in Rajasthan. I lived and worked in Goa in the south of India and did the markets and sold to the Europeans. And in the off-season, I lived in Manali in the Himalayas and did other stuff. Well, tell me how this all came about. You're telling me about your, your upbringing in Kempsey, slim, dusty country, <laughs> wanted to be a Jillaroo, and yet here you are, um, suddenly you've made a life in India. How does that happen? Fate. <laughs> God only knows. Because um, they seem like two different worlds. They are totally two different worlds. <laughs> uh, I think it started a little bit... Um, oh, there's lots of stories, but... I, I mean, I lived in Thailand and I lived in Japan and prior to that, and I was doing um, like uh, decorations for big trance parties and stuff. And so that psychedelic sort of world, and that that also drew me to India. That was part of what drew me to India as well and to go particularly. And then the other part that drew me was my dad's brother had was a hippie in the 60s and had loads of stories and lived there. You didn't there. go see the Maharishi, did he, with John Paul, George and Ringo? <laughs> he was there, actually. Oh, I don't want to go into that, really. <laughs> There's lots of stories. We don't need to go in those stories. <laughs> I'd be killed if I told you. That's when the book comes out. That's after the business is sold. Right. So, but, but these trips that you, you're talking about designing and uh, for, for these parties, etc., they were integral to the design passion that you had? Yeah, well, I, I needed to make money to keep travelling, I think is a massive key to that. And uh, Goal was an interesting format for that because it had a huge scene that came in in between September through to April a massive European market and uh, there was a, a huge market in a place called Anjuna once a week where it was combined with Indian storeholders selling traditional Indian stuff and uh, foreigners with their some with incredible jewelry designs um, clothing leather goods yeah, all sorts of really interesting things. And so you sold to a, a different market. And if you hit a fad, which I did, which was wonderful for me. Accidentally? Ac- totally accidentally, because I started making clothes out of old saris. And I made a top out of an old sari. And I could only make a few tops out of one sari. And it became a bit of a fad. And so I just sold thousands. Can you explain what a sari is? Okay, sari is a, a an Indian woman's... Uh, it's a piece of fabric. It's about five metres long. It can be a print on it or it can be sequined. And I would work with ones that had sequins all over it. And so it was a bit sparkly, lots and lots of bright colours. So very beautiful, very feminine, actually. It was, they were gorgeous. Um, so I had five metres to work with, so I could make however many tops and no, nobody at the markets had done anything like it. And so it just hit a, hit a thing with the girls. Who was buying them? every European girl that was in Goa, you would turn up at a party and probably more than half the party was uh, women in um, one-off kind of little sari tops. How did that start? Because I want to I want to explore, you know, the business as well to to how it started to what it is today. And when you stumble across 
Is it just luck? Is it hard? Like, how does, you know, it, it, and I know it's hard to pinpoint any artistic, whether it's writing or music or film or, or design, but to, to stumble across that and then suddenly everyone's buying, what, what triggers that? What is the, in your oh, opinion? I think that's luck sometimes. I mean, I Why don't... were they sought after? Is, is... Well, I make things that I want to wear. Yeah. So, and because it was a bit different and uh, very bright and colourful, it was visually quite attractive to look at, you know. And yeah. because you could buy one and not everyone had one that, that was unique. the same, it yeah. was also unique. Yeah. So you could play dress-ups with it and turn it into your own little thing, which worked really well. And, yeah, kind of that got me through India for quite a few years with an income. How long did you do that for? I think I did go for about nearly seven years. These markets? Yeah. At that time of the year when the Europeans were holidaying in, in India? Yes. And and that, um, yeah, they were all coming in at that time. Can you give me a sense of, of timing? Like what, what, what decade? The 90s? 90s. The 90s? Pre-digital age? Definitely. Online pre, No, pre-digital. No, no mobiles. No, no. nothing. So the, the garments you were selling locally at the markets... European holiday makers coming through to India. A bit of luck. A bit of... Yep. All of that. Yeah. And the above. Yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. And so, in your head at that stage, so, you, you know, probably your mind's still set on adventure and travel. 100%. That, that's all. So, <laughs> you still didn't have an... You know, did you start thinking about some kind of model where it was like, how can I make this bigger, make it better, make it faster? Not at that time. No, not at all. Just still... No, it wasn't until I kind of came back to Australia that that kind of even eventuated. Um, it was purely to do your Fund your travelling. Well, yes, and be, and because you had to pay for your living over there, and we were renting homes, so we had a house that we rented in Goa, and then we had a house that we rented in the Himachal Pradesh, which is up in the Himalayas in yeah. India. So then I needed enough money to get through six months up in Manali, where there was no work yeah. for me to do because yeah. you know you're up. You're living in a mountain hut, yeah. kind of cooking off a tandoori. Why and when did you come back to Australia? I came back to Australia. The dates I'm going to have completely. But reason? What was the reason for the travel had finished? Definitely not. No. Um, my dad had had. My dad was a bit unwell. Had had a heart attack. Um, and families first. It was um, yeah. I think that's. It, and it, I hadn't seen mum and dad much for a, f- for a while either. And, uh, yeah, I, I came back to here, came back to Pridgian, which was, I hadn't lived here for a very long time either. So I'd, I'd, left, I'd left Australia, I was living in Sydney when I'd left Australia. So I kind of settled back here for a while with... Um, How did you resettle? Because I know when people travel and they spend a fair bit of time overseas, and especially in a place like India, which is so dynamically different, was it? Did you always think about India, or did, were oh, you yeah, like I happy think, to? No, to be I back love home? it. India's home, home. I mean, here is too, very much now. And I wasn't always here for long. Um, I'd come back and do the markets here in Yamundi. Yeah, twice a week. Yeah. Yeah. What were you selling? The same garments, same designs. Yes, but I it grew. And I was, uh, I started to really source saris. So I would go to a market in Delhi and go from house to house buying antique wedding saris. Some worth a little bit of money and some worth 
hundreds of dollars. And so I started to specialize a little bit more in that. And I just started to import more the saris back into Australia. And I had a seamstress in Phrygian Beach that used to stitch for me. Yeah. So I would, we'd make stuff here. And, uh, and just remind me again what you were turning those saris into? Well, little tops. Yeah. And I made a beautiful um, long full-length wraparound princess skirt, I'm going to call it, because it was incredible. I mean, we sold to people from all over the world. They were beautiful and they were one-off. And they were, yeah, they were amazing. And having those garments at the markets here in Australia, were they as popular as they were overseas? Yeah, they were. And again, what do you put what do you put that down to? I just don't think many people have seen anything like it before. You know, um, it's quite it's so India has so much colour and uh, the sequined work and the intricate intricate I can't say that intricate. word. Yeah, intricate yeah. way in how um, stuff is embroidered and with sequins. It's very, very unique, it's, and it's very, very beautiful. And I think it does attract, it doesn't only just attract women, it attracts men too. I mean, people would, women would buy stuff and men would comment. Yeah. And so you had a lot of people going, oh my God, my husband's just said, it's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen me wear. And that was really beautiful. So it kind of rolled on from there. Then I kind of moved away from saris. Um, a few more people started to make them, in a sense. A lot, you know, how the idea, stems and then it grows. I saw you do it. They thought we'll do do that as well. Yeah, which is, I think, the fashion industry in general. Um, and so I decided, okay, well, what's next? Mm. So I went into printing my own stuff and uh, printing my own fabrics. And I was really loving... I used to collect vintage fabrics at this stage. So I'd do an op shop run from Queensland to Victoria on the back country town roads. I'd go to every lifeline and Salvation Army shop I could find getting beautiful old textile and then I would reproduce that into garments like re- reprint and make garments and then you, and then again it changes and changes and changes. But at this stage do you is it still a one-person operation it's just you? Nope. No? Um, so when did when did that start to go next level oh. from markets to the next step up? Well the markets was an outlet for wholesale so just being at the markets shop would, shops would approach you and want to wholesale so the wholesaling came in pretty quickly into me returning to Australia with just a few little boutiques all over the place. Oxford Street, Sydney, different different places. So you had people who noticed your work at the Yamundi markets and then were buying in bulk from you? Yes, that would place orders. Yeah, yeah yep. right. So our shop contacts all started from Yamundi markets. Right. And so talk about that. You know, I want to get that sense of expanding the business and how you kind of step up. And, and well, what your when, expectations were and when hiring that, people, bringing yep. people on board. So the first person for me to hire was my best friend and she was awesome. And so her and I did the markets together and then she worked on a computer <laughs> with people's emails yeah. trying to um, place their orders or people would come directly to us. Some people would fly in and, uh, and choose because um, even with the sari stuff, they wanted to pick their own stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that happened, and we had a, did a photo shoot for um, Marie Claire. They picked up a couple of our unique one-off pieces, and uh, and that took us. How did you? How did they find you? How did that um, come to their attention? I'm trying to think now. I can't even remember. 
we out we I'd built a home with my um, partner in Doonan and we had Australian country style do an eight page spread what year are we talking about oh Jesus I'm just trying to get a sense of what was around at the time what okay. marketing opportunities you utilised we've been out seven, 16 16 17 years ago right okay so social media platforms like it's still not around. Still not around, no. Which had a digital presence. You had a website, I'm yes, guessing, where we people did. could order your. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm just trying to remember whether the website people could order directly off us or not. I can't. I th- it did go eventually that yeah. way. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Memory. I'm getting old, you know. When did the the brand and the name Boomshank come into play? Oh, well, back in India in the days right. of Goa. Oh, okay. So um, that was your label. That was it's always the, it's always the been start. the label, yeah. yeah right. From the, from India. Prior to that, I can't remember what name I called myself, but um, as soon as India came around, and we were making stuff in India, and that was the sari stuff, it was Boom Shankar. So yeah. yeah, early nineties. Yeah. How many people does the company employ? want to say 15 in Australia direct under Boomshanker. Then we have contract in Australia as well, which those contractors have their own teams. And uh, we've got seven direct with us in India. And then I've got, I work with um, two factories in India, both a family to me. I've been at every wedding, every birthday almost, everything. They, they are family. Yeah. I've actually stuck um, with them and helped one factory particularly grow and uh, just continue to get better and better and better. And they are incredibly close. Um, Tell me about the, um, as a, the, was it a retail outlet? Is it a warehouse with your presence here on, in, in Noosa? What's their hub? What do you? Is oh, it a well, distribution ha- centre. It is a distribution right. centre, but we do have a showroom there as well, yes. so people can come in and play dress ups and buy directly from us as well. And it's also good for some of the stockers to see how we would um, display and what we'd put back with each other, and a bit of a concept idea of Boom Shanker yeah. in a way, because it's a little bit fun and quirky and colourful. Yeah, would be awesome to have little booms around the place. <laughs> Do, do you need it for your business model though? Because a lot of your business is online, am I correct? Yeah, I think half of it's now online. Yeah. Can I can I get your your concept your for the way that the model works? So predominantly, it's um, it, it, you've got like like we just discussed a warehouse and a retail presence in Noosa, but half of your business is online. What in terms of marketing tools and getting the brand out there? utilisation of social media and digital what works best for Boom Shanker and how does that just give me an, an insight into why are you laughing I'm laughing because <laughs> I am very not good at business I, but this is but this is great but you've got a success story and you admit that so I who, employ who, people who runs it? you surround yourself with oh people gosh, that know yeah. what they're doing I that's not the design. first time I've heard that yeah yeah I <laughs> hope, I've had managers for years I'd be lost without Right. Um, employees. Um, so when the well, let's talk about the growth of this brand. You know, we, we've we've explored the Amundi markets and and how you know you, you came to attend. You know, people 
you came to the attention of publications like Marie Claire and, and that kind of thing. Was it your plan, in your head, was it your plan to expand or how did that happen? Was it came organically? Totally. It wasn't like a master plan? No, to... <laughs> not a master plan, not, not, not at all. I'm actually just a carny travelling hippie that probably really just wants to get back to those roots sometime soon. So, But you must have a yin and yang there to your carny gypsy lifestyle. Who's the... Who's the Who's the driver in that? Uh, um, I think if there's when you're, I mean, it's beautiful having acknowledgement, getting acknowledged for your creations, yeah. and I think that's probably the drive. And definitely, when people send emails in, or people see you, and or you're flying somewhere and you see Boom Shanker out and about, there's a that I will always be humble to it. I think it's unbelievable, and that's a really beautiful um, you know it's a beautiful gift really for me to be able to give to people that love it um, and that's the drive. Can you talk to me about some of the challenges along the way in terms of a growing business? Well for someone who's not I've got no management skills whatsoever. So how did so <laughs> this is what people be interested in though because people stay true to their course so you're a designer and you're an artistic yeah. who, who was the who who kind of planted the seed or guided the business along to grow the brand? Uh, there's, there's been just employees along the way who have just stepped in and stepped up and really helped it by doing their jobs yeah. and um, in, in jobs that I couldn't do. I can't work a computer. Um, I only learnt to internet bank a week ago. <laughs> Uh, I'm. I still have done everything by hand, or still You're do. You're talking about your creation, yeah. yeah right. Um, so you don't use a computer to design, and no. Now I have a great team that is starting to do all of that for me, uh, which is fantastic. But that's it's very new. I still um, am very hands-on with uh, being in India, working with a master tailor and creating a pattern, chopping and changing um, and sitting with them, sample makers, making things. That's always been the way I've done it. Uh, And recently, within the last few seasons, I'm doing way more stuff now in Australia with those sort of people too with master pattern makers and all of that sort of stuff and we're actually sending things back to India and it's being done more here than there Um, what's the reason for that well because I imagine India's uh, a bit like it's alright everything will be alright no problem blah 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 but there's (laughs) it takes time yeah and I think as as I've almost had to get more professional too which is a struggle do you need to because this is what I, I, I think, think my staff would like me to, yeah. About people in creative industries who want to remain true to their... Well, that is an absolute struggle for me, honestly. To I put your um, business hat on. Yeah, I don't <laughs> particularly love it. Yeah, I probably now just think it's best to pay the right people to put the business hat on. Considering this kind of organic evolution now of this brand, do you have a goal for the next 10, 5, 10, 15 years? Or I'll slow it down a bit. Definitely not 10, 15 years, but um, 
Yeah, the, I think the plan for me is... Well, it's an interesting one because my business is not just about fashion. We do a lot of... Um, like 10% of the profit goes towards the charity, if not more sometimes. It's a platform to be able to educate. When you get to this sort of level, you can you can do a lot of things. And... Um, and that's where I would like to work more in because we've got projects that run in India, stuff that happens in Australia. And I would love to maybe step back a little bit and do more projects with helping community, um, making the world a happier place, colourful place. <laughs> I've got an idea for the Sunshine Coast. I've just submitted it to council and I have to put something together. I can, it's top secret, but I... <laughs> It will be bright. That's all I'm saying. All right. Hey, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Awesome. Lovely to meet you, John. Dewey Cameron from Boom Shanker was my guest today on Conversations in Noosa. If you enjoyed that pod, uh, I hope you share it about on your social media networks. I hope you tell your friends about our podcast, our great series here, Conversations in Noosa. There really are some remarkable stories to explore. Also, if you uh, discovered our pod on uh, Apple Podcasts or Wooshka, if there's an opportunity for you to rate and review the podcast, I would be uh, very, very grateful indeed. Until next time, take care.